There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Welcome to the Camera Podcast. Pubs, Pints and People. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Camera Podcast, Pubs, Pints and People, the podcast all about the wonderful world of beer, cider and pubs. Well, what a week it's been. How are we, Arla? Are we surviving lockdown, folks? How are we? I'm doing all right. I've still got my order of beer, so I'm happy and chipper. <laughs> How about you, Matt? <laughs> I'll be talking about it today. I'm dangerously low. I was boasting all about my shed full of beer in episode one, and I don't know whether it was a long weekend or just maybe changing patterns of drinking, but it's not lasting as long as I would like. I was so just... jealous when you mentioned that last time because it just comes and goes really quickly in my house. I know. Well, I'll tell you what, but what has been sustaining me this week, if I'm even though I'm low on beer, is I'm high as a kite seeing all the comments from people about episode one. I thought it was oh, one... what a segue, what Mr. A segue. Yeah. I like that. Indeed, we've had some wonderful remarks and comments from our Twitter feed, and we've had lots of comments and reviews already on all of the platforms where our podcasts are hosted. Thank you so much for those. I mean, let's just pick a few of these out. Lots of people talking about your 45 RPM interview, Matt. It's the way he put it into terms that we could all understand when he's talking about really complex science. I thought he was fantastic. So yeah, a lot of people are saying that's a, that's a decent tip. So I'm pleased with that. Beaver Town themselves actually commented on the camera underscore official tweet feed. They really enjoyed what Matt did with the interview. And it was, it was great. It was a great interview all around. And in fact, thank you so much for all of the other comments we've had. I mean, we've had people here saying, who'd have thought they'd have been interested in Iron Maiden? But all of a sudden <laughs> people are listening. That whole story was just really captured. A lot of people's interest, didn't it? We had a member say that they felt like they're getting their annual subscription worth for camera. So that's always good. <laughs> oh, no, we're glad to be of value in the community. <laughs> it's been really nice for all of you to do continue to send through your feedback. Our Twitter handle is camera underscore official. Use the hashtag podcast. You can, of course, email us as well. It's podcast at camera.org.uk. Don't forget to rate us and leave a review actually on Apple podcast, because that way our ratings go up. More people find their love for 
for Beer and Cider and we just spread the great word. Indeed. And if you've not been to the Red Online pub yet, get yourself on there. There's lots going on. There's even some little presentations this week, I believe. Later on this evening, we'll have Christine Krein, who's a master beer trainer on the Red Online. And she's going to be doing a beer tasting of British beers with Durham Brewery. And that will be from 6pm. Have a look at our schedule for future beer tastings that are coming up and see how you can get involved. So it's time for us to get on with the show. Mr. Matt Bondi, what are we talking about this week? Well, today we're going to be talking about beer writing. And I'll tell you what, it's a pretty good time to start a new hobby. I think we can all agree. And I was reading this week that apparently we're all meant to be keeping a diary uh, for future historians, apparently, <laughs> because it's such an unusual and precedented event. And so somebody needs to represent the views of the beer, cider and pub lovers. So we all need to get writing out there. There's never been an easier time, really, has there, either, with all the blogging platforms, there's YouTube, there's social, there's podcasting, of course. Hey, hey. Make your own or join in with ours. And I think it's also, it's a great way to start stay connected with other beer lovers during lockdowns. Indeed, it's a hobby that's gained the attention of so many beer drinkers. There's actually a British Guild of Beer Writers to represent those communicators. And Pete Brown, who we're going to be interviewing later on, is the chair of that board. So you get the chance to learn from him what it takes to become a beer writer in today's world. Full disclosure, I also sit on the board for the Guild of Beer Writers, so it's a subject that's very close to my heart. (laughs) I just have to say, I think... The beer community is just one of the most amazing groups that you can be a part of. Everyone has a shared passion and love for great beers and ciders. And writing is a really good way of just getting your foot in the door within the beer community. So I'd really recommend anyone trying their hand at it. And it's a scene that's obviously changing throughout the years. and It's probably even changed even more so in the current climate that we're in. So you get to hear more about that. If you're not part of the Guild and you're interested, then check it out. As well as the interview with Pete, we'll also be sharing an interview that I did a wee while back with the beer writing legend Roger Protz who has pretty much filled up the camera library shelves over the years not only has he edited most of the good beer guide copies but he seems to release a new book every year this is a man that is not quitting anytime soon and his latest title Britain's Family Brewers is due to be released this August now if you fancy trying your hand at beer writing during the lockdown don't forget to visit cameras pulling together page and you'll find pubs clubs breweries and cideries near you offering takeaway or delivery beer services because of course you need something to write about what I love about that is that it really gives people the chance who might not necessarily be able to get to the pub very often regularly to try loads of different local beers to them we've got 2,000 pubs and breweries and cideries now listed across the country within those pages so you should be able to find something nearby. So without further ado let's kick off our learn and discover section where I'll be sitting down with legendary beer writer and chair of the British Guild of Beer Writers Pete Brown. Learn and discover. Sitting down with award winning author and broadcaster Pete Brown. Pete has written nine books and won numerous awards. Today he chairs the British Guild of Beer Writers. Pete, how did it all begin? It goes back to a passionate love of mainstream standard lager brands, I'm afraid to say. When I was a kid, lager adverts were the funniest things on TV. And so my initial entry route into beer was not a love of beer, although I enjoyed it. It was a love of beer advertising. And I found myself working on beer advertising in my late 20s and, you know, my perfect job. But when I was doing things like focus groups, research groups, I saw that whatever beer people were drinking, the passion that people had about beer brands was greater than I'd seen for any other product I'd ever worked on. So I started asking questions questions about things like why did Britain have an ale culture 100 years after everyone else switched to lager, why is the British pub so unique, all this kind of thing. And 
I couldn't find a book that answered those questions. I could find lots of books about the intrinsics of beer, lots of books telling me that these were the 100 greatest beers that I should try and all that kind of thing, but nothing on the cultural side. And so eventually I decided to write that book. And through writing that book, by the time I, the book was published, I no longer worked, wanted to work in advertising, I wanted to be a writer. And it just went from there. And it seems like there's quite a few beer writers out there these days. What tips would you give to somebody who's wanting to start their career in beer writing? Now, this sounds like a really fatuous answer, but I'm afraid it's the truest and best answer I can give, which is just write. People ask me this question all the time. And it's like if someone said to you, how do I run a marathon? The first thing you would say is, well, get out and run start training, start small, build up until, until you're doing longer distances if you want to be a writer you have to be writing every day it's, it's the same muscle that you need to build and the second thing about that is reading, you know, read everything and read way beyond the beer category don't look at what beer writers you admire look at what writers you admire and look at how you can bring in different styles and different perspectives and what you can learn from anywhere else Are there some key books that are your go-to recommendations for aspiring beer writers? Yeah, they might be surprising. My greatest help is, one is Stephen King's book on writing. I never read a Stephen King horror novel until I read that book. I read that book because I've seen thousands of books, How to Become a Best-Selling Novelist, written by people I've never heard of. <laughs> so I thought, well, at least I've heard of Stephen King. I'll do what he says. I mean, what he said was amazing, but it was the way he said it as well and the enthusiasm that he imparted on it. And it just made me want to write more and write better. And then my other piece is George Orwell's Moon Underwater, an 800 word essay in the Evening Standard from 1946 about his perfect pub and I've written a million words on pubs now and I haven't written anything as good as what Orwell wrote in that essay and it's just an inspiration in terms of clarity and precision in writing which is what I always aim for. And what do you think is the hardest aspect of getting into the beer writing industry these days? I think the hardest thing about it is that there are more people wanting to do it than there are opportunities available. You have to really try hard. I mean if you want to just set up a blog or set up social media accounts in which to chronicle your own beer journey and that's a hobby for you, then that's fantastic. You know, it's a great, great time to be doing that. If you want to progress to a stage where you want to earn money from it, then it's just a question of supply being greater than demand and having to kind of fight and get your name heard, using things like your blog or your social media feeds to make a name for yourself so that eventually people know who you are and come calling for you as well as you pitching to them. And you're currently the chair of the British Guild of Beer Writers. Can you tell us what that's all about? The Guild has been going since 1988 to improve the public perception of beer and to help people who write about it to do their jobs better and improve their standards and get more work. So I've been chair for 18 months now, having joined for the first time in 2004. It's a voluntary organisation. We have a fantastic group of people on the board and we just do as much as we can. It's never enough. Not as much as we want to do. We're always improving, always getting better. And I would ask anyone to get engaged in it. So if you were speaking to a new beer writer, why should they consider joining the Guild? I think since day one, the Guild has had fantastic social and networking opportunities and that's the reason I think a lot of members sign over their payment every year is, is for the fantastic summer party we have for the Guild dinner, for the awards if you're going to get recognised for your writing it's going to be with the British Guild of Beer Writers before anywhere else. You know, you may eventually go on to be recognised in other broader food and drink competitions but the Guild Awards are the best place. And now as we improve what we can do we're now also offering excellent training opportunities 
stories, events which give you ideas for stories and hooks for stories, and just meeting other writers and improving your craft because despite the fact there's more of us than there is work available, we're a very friendly bunch we all get on with each other, help each other out, which is true of the, the brewing industry more generally. And do you know how many beer writers are in the UK right now? It depends on your definition of beer writer. When the Guild started, there was a handful of people writing books and magazine articles about beer. We now try to talk about beer communicators to include podcasters, photographers, social media, influencers. So we have a very broad definition now. And I would say by that definition, we're probably up around a thousand people who want to not just enjoy beer, but share that enjoyment with others and communicate that enjoyment to others and try to enthuse them as well. You mentioned it was a very fierce, competitive market. What do you have to do to set yourself apart in the crowd? I think it's working hard to develop your own voice. It's making sure that you understand what you're writing about. There is a tendency at the moment for people to kind of do a few reviews and untapped and then start kind of saying that they know a lot about beer. To be true to your own voice, not to copy writers you admire, but to think, well, what's my take on this? How would I do that differently? What's the best thing about being a beer writer? There's so much that's good about being a beer writer. Obviously, people said free beer. And all I would say to that is, no, I don't. I get paid to write about it after I've been drinking the beer, which is quite a lot harder. But I think it's just the general lifestyle and camaraderie. It's the number of adventures that I've had, the places I've been and the people I've met, who I just wouldn't have ever, ever met if I wasn't doing this. It's a different job every day, and it's always taking me to random places. I've just come back from Columbus, Ohio, where I would never, ever have gone. They don't even have an international airport terminal there. But, you know, I got to spend six days there drinking to some amazing bars in places that I would never have seen if I hadn't been in this job. And it's just that constant novelty. Whenever I find that I'm getting tired of it or jaded by it, within a few weeks something happens where it's like, wow, that initial passion is there all, all over again. And on that note, what's next for Pete Brown? I'm working on two book ideas at the moment, which is the way I seem to do things can't really reveal what they are yet but one is going to be a craft book a craft made book (laughs) so that will give some clue (laughs) well thank you so much for your time pete learn and discover what a legend pete is isn't he great advice just start writing find your voice just get something down on paper or on screen because you can't be a writer until you actually start doing it. And I think what I like more than that is that he says, if you're going to run a marathon, you need to start training. I'm never going to run a marathon, but I can start writing. That's a little bit easier to do in lockdown. So I think I might even give it a go myself. But the great thing about beer, cider and pubs is there's so many different topics to write about. And you see that just from the range that camera has. I mean, there's so many different books that are available. If there's any topic that you are interested in, you can find something that's unique to you. Exactly. We were talking last week about our latest title, Sellermanship, which is all about storing and keeping and serving real ale. But Camera does books on homebrewing. We do books on heritage pubs, how to make cider, how to make your own beer. So there really is something for anyone who has an interest in the subject. And there's more coming out this year as well now? We've obviously had to push a few titles back. We can't really say, hey, go to these tap rooms and bars <laughs> around <laughs> London right now. <laughs> but or if somebody's <laughs> writing out there, you know, life in lockdown a beer guide or something like that you know wouldn't that be great you know or if somebody's been diarising every drink they've had since lockdown and maybe they're going to come out at the end of it could be an idea who knows we've got a few more titles coming out this year we've got that staple of the good beer guide every autumn britain's family brewers coming out this summer which is written by roger protz who we will be speaking to next and we'll also have the camera biography released towards the end of the year to celebrate camera's 50th birthday in 2021 which should be very exciting so people can dive into the archives themselves
Will there be pictures of people from the office 50 years ago? I don't think there was an office 50 years ago, actually. I think it's only in the last few decades, maybe? The last 20 years? It originally started with just four mates who sent Love out that. a few Christmas cards. Excellent. I want to see shell suits. I want to see perms. I want to see it all. <laughs> I want to know what the defining beer book of the lockdown will be. Maybe like a beer guide, but like window shopping. So pubs to walk by. <laughs> That could be, uh, and that could be people on, just pressing their noses against the glass like. on your on your one allocated exercise per day <laughs> how many pubs you can visit in an hour in lockdown <laughs> now before we jump into our interview with roger we've got a great opportunity for beer writers that's right so camera's expanding the learn and discover arm and we're going to offer more online content and webinars for people to learn about their favorite drink during lockdown and if you think you can help you know we'll be commissioning articles videos audio loads of stuff if you want to be involved you can contact content at camera.org.uk and say what you want to get involved with we'd love to hear from you this is all part of our learn and discover drive which is to help people learn more about their favorite drink so we want to take this opportunity that people have during lockdown when they might have a bit of spare time to pick up a new skill to learn a bit more about cider making or home brewing or styles and flavors i might give it a go myself i think it'd be how to fail at cider making for five years in a row (laughs) (laughs) that'll be that'll be what i'll be doing Now we're going to sit down with the beer legend himself, Roger Protz. This is an interview that you took on, Ant, and this was recorded pre-lockdown. So obviously some of the things that we're going to discuss, such as launching his book at GBBF, is sadly no longer on the cards. But I just love the plans that he had actually outlined for it. So I wanted to make sure we kept it in so you guys could hear what Roger's ideal book launch would be. Let's give it a listen. (laughs) Desert Island Beer. This week, we'll be speaking to legend himself, Roger Protz. Now, Roger has written a number of books on beer and pubs and edited the famous Good Beer Guide for nearly 20 years. He's won the Glenfiddich Drink Writer Award twice and Cyber's 2015 Lifetime Achievement Award for Outstanding Contribution to the Brewing Industry. He's a long-standing camera member and good friend whose latest title, Family Brewers, will be released in August this year. Roger Protz. Hi, Roger. Morning. How are you today? Um, I'm a little bit, uh, <laughs> a little bit spaced out. I was at the Manchester Beer Festival last night. Got home at midnight, so. Uh, oh wow. Yeah. How was it up in Manchester? Brilliant. Yeah, it's a wonderful festival because it's in the what used to be called Grand Central Station, which became GMEX, and it's now called Manchester Central. And it's the same design as the man who did St Pancras Station in London. So it's a very, very impressive building. So uh, talk to me about writing, Roger. <laughs> how did how does one get into that? Yeah, people often ask me that. I get emails saying, how do I become a beer writer? The answer is, write about it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there are so many openings these days because we have what is called social media, don't we? And uh, if somebody wants to become a beer writer, then do a blog and just write away and hope that people pay attention to what you're saying. Because back when I started, it was a typewriter, wind the paper into the typewriter and hope a newspaper might publish something. Well, now there are just so many other places you can present stuff. It's certainly accessible. And we're going to explore a bit more about that in this section now. Now, this part of the podcast is the Desert Island (laughs) Beer. And uh, as you can only imagine, we we, we ask everybody that we interview uh, what theirs would be. Mm. If you're stranded on a desert island, you've got one drink for the rest of of (laughs) the time you're going to be there. Uh, You can only imagine what my next question is going (laughs) to be. So what is your Desert Island Beer, Roger? 
crikey. Just one beer. Bear in mind, you've written about hundreds yeah. and hundreds yeah. of yeah. them, so this um, is probably more difficult for you. <laughs> I mean, there is. I don't want to knock the thousands of small craft brewers in this country because they're making some fantastic beers, mm. and I get knocked out by the, the quality and the passion and the commitment and the verve that goes into making their, those beers. But being a bit old-fashioned and having been around the block a few times, I still love the traditional beers brewed by the old family breweries. And I think day in, day out, if I could only have one beer on the desert island, it would be Timothy Taylor's Landlord. Very good. (laughs) There we are, Timmy Taylor's. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about your latest title, the Britain's Family Brewers. Mm. Tell me about that. This was an idea I had a couple of years ago because I feel that the family brewers are underplayed and they don't get the support or the credit that they they deserve because they've been around for a very long time. I mean, the book starts with Shepherd Neem in Faversham in Kent, who have been there since 1698. Wow. (laughs) And a lot of small breweries opened in the 18th century, and then the 19th century was what I call the golden age of the family brewers, because so many of them started in the 19th century when there was the tremendous interest in India Pale Ale and Pale Ale, the whole Burton-on-Trent beer revolution in the 19th century. And these guys and girls have been around for 300 years and they're still waving the flag for good beer. And they don't get the praise sometimes that I think they deserve because they've gone through wars, recessions. There were the terrible events of the 1960s and 70s when the big national brewers went on the rampage, taking over, buying, closing down scores of brewers. And these people have survived. And they're still the main producers of what we're all about at camera, which is cast-conditioned beer. Without them, Real Ale would be dead. I mean, the majority, if you go to people like Shepherd Neem and all the other family brewers, the main product that they're making is cask beer. Mm. Whereas other smaller brewers are doing some cask beer, but uh, they're doing modern-style cake beers, and nothing wrong with that. We can talk about that if you like. But uh, I think Real Ale would be dead and buried, but for the family brewers. How long did it take you to write the book? took me exactly a year. <laughs> exactly a year, excellent. Yeah. Mm. And uh, how can people get their hands on that? It will be published in August. I think the plan is to launch it at the Great British Beer Festival, which will be nice. Mm-hmm. And my plan is to get um, Hook Norton Brewery to come turn up with their horse-drawn dray and I can sit on the dray and wave the book. <laughs> Wonderful, yeah. great stuff. So if you are listening and you intend to get up there in uh, in the summer, there's something else to look forward to <laughs> for sure. Yep. Uh, Roger Potts on the back of a horse-drawn drag <laughs> waving at new release about Britain's Family Brewers. Now, Roger, you've been uh, a beer writer for some time. Which has been your favourite book to write? I did a book in 2005 for camera called 300 Beers to Try Before You Die. And the then editor of publishing gave me three months to write it. And it nearly killed me. I'm not exaggerating because I had to source beers from all around the world. America was dead easy because the Americans being such lovely wide open people they just gave you lots and lots of information yes. British brewers can be a bit suspicious why do you want to know about our original gravity and why do you want to know which malts and hops we use that kind of thing and then trying to get stuff out of France and Italy with the language problems wasn't easy but I did it <laughs> and um, it's been far and away the most successful book I've ever done. It's sold, I think, getting on for about 200,000 copies, which for a book about beer is a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, if you sell 10,000 copies, you think you're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I wouldn't say it was fun to write, but uh, 
it's been it gives me great pleasure to see it still around um it's out of date now to be quite honest because mm. a lot of those um uh, beers aren't around anymore but uh, well I wouldn't say a lot of them but some of them aren't around anymore but uh, from the feedback I get from people who have got the book both in this country and other countries um, it did open their eyes to the tremendous range of beers that are available. I suppose my next question is you've pretty much written about everything under the sun where do you even begin to draw your inspiration from? I draw it from going into a pub asking for a pint of beer and watching what brewers call the theatre of the poor, <laughs> which, which is the hand pump coming mm-hmm. back and the beer going into the glass. And if they if they know how to serve it properly, one of my main complaints about the British pub scene is that too few people know how to pour a pint these days. Mm-hmm. I went into a pub recently and they had one of my favourite newish beers, Adnam Scotia, a beautiful, wonderful yeah, yeah. beer. And the person behind the bar was sort of yanking and yanking and yanking she must have taken about 10 efforts on <laughs> and of course what she did was she oxygenated the yes. beer and knocked all the flavor out of the beer and when you're handing over five quid for a pint of beer you want something which tastes right don't you absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah that's still my inspiration it's going into a lovely pub and being given a well-presented pint of beer with a nice head the right temperature full of aroma and flavor and you think wow that is fantastic who brewed that right i must go and see them <laughs> <laughs> and there we are then and, that, yeah. and then the campaign starts for you to go and yeah. find something new to write about yeah. and I, I should imagine you you've, you have traveled well and far with your writing yeah talk to me about some of those exotic destinations i think the most dramatic ones i've ever done were to what was then czechoslovakia in the 1980s when it was still under the old communist regime and it was very hard getting in there and um, I went the first time with a group of camera members and getting into Czechoslovakia when you actually got to you had to get a visa before you could go there and that took some time and I remember I volunteered to go and pick up the visas from the Czech tourist board in London for there were 12 people and when I turned up they handed over 11 visas and oh. I said there's one missing and it was mine <laughs> and I said where's my visa they said there is a problem <laughs> oh. In those days, your passport said what your profession was, oh. and my profession said journalist. <laughs> oh, and there we are. And they were very suspicious. I had to go back the next day. I got it in the end. When I got to Prague, it takes about an hour to get out of the airport. It did in those days. There were men with machine guns all over the place, and they opened all your bags. And then they took me off to the office of the Journalists Trade Union in Prague, <laughs> and I had to become a member of the Czech Journalists Union. Wow. <laughs> I was only there for a week. <laughs> But the amazing thing was the beer was absolutely fantastic and it was so cheap, about tuppence a pint. Yeah. Excellent. I remember taking £100, which I changed into Czech crowns, and I brought 50 quid back because wow. I just couldn't spend it. Excellent. <laughs> the only brewery you could visit in those days was Pilsner Urquell because that was a tourist attraction because this was the first original pale Pilsner mm-hmm. lager brewery. And everything was done in wood, all these great wooden fermenting vessels, absolutely amazing. So, you know, you've, you've spent all of these wonderful years writing and travelling. Looking at the industry as a whole, how has that changed in all that time? Oh, my goodness. Well, if, you, if we look on a global scale, who would have thought that one company would control 30% of all the beer brewed in the world? Yeah. And that is frightening because their power, their power... I interviewed a professor at Warwick University a few years ago for the Good Beer Guide, and he's an expert on global companies. And he taught me things I never really thought about, that if you're as big as AB InBev, 
you can say to farmers, we want a zillion tonnes of your barley, and we want a zillion tonnes of your hops, but you've got to give us a price. Right. And they can buy stuff so much more cheaply because of their muscle. Yes. And that means that they produce beer cheaply and they can undercut everybody else. And you can see that by going around supermarkets, just looking at the price of the, the brands owned by AB InBev. Yeah. And I've noticed since um, AB InBev bought the Camden Brewery in London, that Camden are now in Waitrose. Um, Beavertown, who, know, who now have a link up with Heineken, they're in Waitrose and they can get their beers into places that these small brewers could never dream of getting into mm. before. But they're undercutting everybody else. So that is a frightening thing on, on a world scale, on the British scale. I mean, when I first started writing about beer and was working for Camera, I wouldn't say the enemy, but the people that we were up against were called the Big Six, the Big Six national brewers like Bass, Allied Breweries, Whitbread, Watneys and so on, Scottish and Newcastle. And they've all gone, apart from SNN. SNN are still there, but they're now Heineken UK. And um, they've been replaced by the pub companies. And we had this great celebration in 1989 when the uh, famous report by the Monopolies Commission came out onto the way in which the big six were rigging the market in this country and fixing the prices and keeping smaller brewers out of their pubs. And we thought, this is going to be the big breakthrough before the consumer. Sorry, chaps, it didn't happen that way. And I was as naive as anybody else, <laughs> but the big brewers were replaced by the pub companies. And the giant pub companies, if anything, are worse than the old <laughs> big brewers because they're all about just making profit. Whereas the old big six national brewers, to give them their due, they were concerned about making money, of course, but they also con concerned. They were also concerned about the quality of their pubs and the quality of the beer. Whereas for not all the pub companies, there are some very good smaller pub companies, but for the big pub companies, it's all about uh, just the bottom line mm. and buying as much beer as you can at big discounts. So in this ever-changing world, there'll always be something to write about for yeah. you, Roger, won't there, I'm sure. Yeah. I think about two years ago, there were just too many books about beer. Now, I'm, in, a, in a sense, I'm ashamed to say that because I want people to write about beer and I want people to read about beer. But uh, I remember doing an, doing an event in Waterstones in Norwich during City of Ale two years ago and fellow beer writers Pete Brown and Adrian Tierney-Jones were doing it with me. And Waterstones had laid out all the books they stock about beer. I've never seen so many books in all my life. <laughs> books I'd never heard of, writers I'd never heard of, publishers I'd never heard of. But there were just too many books. And I think they've killed the, the goose that laid the golden egg. I was in Waterstones in St Albans a couple of weeks ago. They just one beer book, whereas a couple of years ago they'd have had half a dozen, a dozen beer books. So there's a bit of a crisis, I think, in the beer publishing sector. So we need to get out there and encourage more people to get writing, get some more books yeah. back on the shelves. And you can publish your own books, of course. I mean, that is one yes. of the advantages of modern technology. You can, you can do it yourself. Very good. So the Britain's Family Brewers book available, hopefully for the Summertime Festival, yeah. Yeah. and you will be there. <laughs> On the back of that dray wagon, if Hook Norton Brewery can bring that for you. It's something to look forward to. Roger, that's everything we've got for you today. Thank you so much for being interviewed, and more so for your valuable contribution <laughs> to the world of beer writing. It's been a pleasure. Thank pleasure. you, Roger. Thank you very much. Desert Island Beer. Wow, I tell you what.
it just feels like another time, doesn't it? Looking back to the intro of that, Roger talking about joining the interview bleary-eyed from being at a beer festival. It makes me nostalgic for the old days before lockdown. We didn't appreciate it at the time. <laughs> I mean, I really could have spoken to the guy all day. He's got such a soothing tone. And, you know, he's just so blooming interesting. That's what's great about the, the fact that he's such a successful writer means that he's been to lots of places and he's seen lots of things. I think he's a real inspiration for people in the beer world and budding beer writers themselves. When I started beer writing initially a few years ago, he actually let me post content onto his blog, Pots on Beer, and that was a really good kind of leg up and stepping stone for me to kind of get in the circle. So he's just, he's really good at giving back to people as well. And as we know, the GBBF isn't taking place now, but the book is still going to be coming out. It'll be on the camera shop, which you can get online. Roger's new book, Britain's Family Brewers, will be available on the camera shop, shop.camera.org.uk, from August. It won't be accompanied by Roger rolling into the Great British Beer Festival on <laughs> Hook Norton horse-drawn carriages, but should be a really good read for this summer. If you listen to both of them back, and what's great about both of these prolific writers is that their advice is one and the same. If you want to get started at beer writing, start writing. I think what's great about Pete's interview, he references finding your own style. So rather than trying to mimic all of those other wonderful writers out there try and find your own voice try and find something that makes unique into your style i like that he also talks about trying to find different authors that aren't necessarily beer writers that he uses mm. stephen king as a muse it is indeed something you've got to work to you're not going to come out the traps being able to do it straight away but you've got to work to it and then roger compliments that in his interview with the whole start with your reviews start getting used to the idea of writing and then start to market yourself and get your work out there and it's not always going to be paid work but if you do it as a hobby if you're doing it as a passion you can make a success of it in any case so we've talked all about some classic publications in the world of beer writing and we're going back to the ultimate guide and the first ever edition of it the good beer guide published in 1974 this is a real collector's item it's just a tiny slip of a pamphlet now i believe it's a limited edition because it was banned is that right katie it wasn't banned. It was uh, pulled from the <laughs> shelves. <laughs> Lawyers advised Camera to republish this particular copy because they had some very colourful descriptions of some of the breweries. And the most notable one describing Watney's Brewery as a void like the plague which they thought might get us into a bit of trouble. So yes, that this particular copy that we have in front of us is very much a collector's item. Love that this thing is tiny. You know, you're going to look at the Good Beer Guide being produced this year and they're all mahoosive, whereas this thing is, as Matt <laughs> said, it, just, it could just literally go in your jacket pocket or your back pocket all of them wasn't it that was everything it featured everything so in a way it kind of the size of the book is documents the size of the industry that we can see over the years how the bigger the book it shows how how incredibly successful and varied the real ale industry has become yes yeah, so we've got nearly 2,000 breweries now across the uk which is a huge explosion compared to basically the big four brewers when camera first started so it's a testament to how well the industry's been doing over the last few decades i'll tell you what i always love about the good beer guide is that it's absolutely independent each pub is selected by local volunteers mm -hmm. you can't buy your way into the guide no nope. it's an honest and in this case it warts and all view of the good and the bad oh definitely the guides always really represented the best but if you look at this particular edition even this first issue when it produced it does include a caveat on the front which says that the pubs included don't necessarily represent the best pubs in the country and that some may be too rough or too posh 
it's a great honesty in this <laughs> you can go to any one of these but if you have a good or a bad time we're not taking blame nor credit <laughs> i think that's just because back then camera was only two years old when the first guide was produced so obviously we had fewer members out there and huge regional gaps and that's just not the case anymore our branches have to compete to select the very best pubs for the guide each year aside from the Watney's comment that you alluded to earlier there were a few other absolute charmers about <laughs> brewers these listeners are word for word let us read a few of them now but we're not going to tell you which breweries they were here's one for you not generally recommended lots of often spoiled by pressurization or a distinctive beer spoiled by gas it's a problem that comes to us all <laughs> and then i love this one is described as a shadow of the beers it has replaced <laughs> <laughs> so dark isn't it so beer writing then we can say there's been around since at least 1974 last orders all right so now it's time for last orders where we get to discuss what we've been drinking this week and what's been getting you through the lockdown? Well, I have had many a quaff uh, over the past seven days, but the weather has been wonderful, hasn't it? The sunshine has been blooming lovely. So I've gone for something refreshing. And for me, my drink of the week has got to be Oakham's Citra. Ooh, love an Oakham Citra. I have been trying some beer that I was sent in another life when I used to go to work, <laughs> <laughs> which is Camden Brewery called Blooming Hells. And it's their seasonal lager. I'm I'm not usually a big lager drinker. You know, I like my dark beers. It's really light and refreshing. And they actually have done it in collaboration with the Bumblebee Conservation Trust. So it comes with a nice little beer mat that you can plant and it will grow flowers for bumblebees, which I think is quite cute. So nice. I thought I should uh, share that this week. And for you, Mr. Bundy, what has been going into that tumbler of yours? So I've been running a bit low down in the shed. <laughs> so I have a horrifying confession. You say it's been beautiful weather this week. I've been very unseasonally having to go through the Christmas ales that I didn't <laughs> finish. So while it's been beautiful, like 26 degrees outside, I've been drinking a rockin' Rudolph. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> So I'll try and do better next week and find a more yeah. appropriate beer. But this time it's been a really weird combination for me. I don't know how you guys feel about Christmas beers, but I just find them all a bit naff most of the time. I did a really fun Christmas beer tasting with Roger Potts actually a few years ago. But a lot of them are just, there's a lot of pretty pictures on the cover to disguise bad tasting beer. Yeah, it's I all infused, one... isn't it? Lots of cinnamon, lots of nutmeg, lots of orange peel. I mean, just have mulled wine or a stout. Yeah. Just, you know. Exactly. I think this one's actually, uh, reindeer flavoured <laughs> so it's not been my finest hour but luckily I'm glad to say I'm getting a delivery in because I've been on the camera website and I'm going to be on, back on top form and whatever you've been drinking out there this week we hope that you've enjoyed it continue to support your local brewers as we know a lot of people have been doing there's lots of information on the camera website if you need somewhere to start in terms of where to get your drinkies from for the next week and beyond that's all we've got for this week's episode, but join us next week. We'll be sitting down with Johnny Garrett of the Craft Beer Channel and Mark Dredge, who is Channel 4's beer expert. They talk to us all about what is craft beer. Indeed, and don't forget to continue to like, subscribe, review, share, and tweet us, camera underscore official, use hashtag podcast. And with that, Mr. Bondi, it's over to you for our weekly quote. I've gone very uh, classical this week. I've gone for William Shakespeare uh, from Henry V, who said, I would give all of my fame for a pot of ale and safety. Indeed, and with that, let's have collective cheers for our listeners, the industry, and all of our key workers helping to keep us all afloat. Cheers! cheers. Thank you.
a free case of beer sound. Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer 52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia, Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.